everybody, can you hear my voice? Yes, a little else, Sam. Ah, tough shit, you got no choice. So grab a glass and sit back in your chair. Cause Uncorked is going live to This is the Uncorked Whiskey Sessions coming from Edinburgh. Hello, Sam. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm good. I'm surrounded by bottles, so I'm a very happy it's place. It's a very, very happy place looking at all these old bottles around us. And we've got two special guests with us today. Um, let's introduce them, shall we? On my right, I have Angus McLeod. Say hello, hello Angus. Hello, Angus. He did. <laughs> That's exactly what I asked him to say, and he did it. And Chris White's to my right. To my left. White. <laughs> Hi Sam. <laughs> Hi. It's, it's a nice, it's a nice atmosphere to sit around here, um, looking at all these old bottles around us. So some uh, of them are uh, even real. Yeah. Some of them, <laughs> some of them are real. Yeah. Uh, we all make. Uh, there's some boutique ones up there as well. That's nice. Yeah, to see. we need to be on brand for the podcast. So, Thank you so uh, much for putting them out on show. Yeah, I mean they're they're just spray painted on, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I wanted to have some of your some of your juice on display. Well, it's a beautiful collection of fakes. I know you're not a collector, but we're talking about auctions and yeah. the, the passion that gets us into whiskey that sometimes drives people to spend a million pounds on a bottle. Um, so how do we get there? Let's first start with like who we are. Chris, you want to just give a little bio, how you got into whiskey, why you're a nerd, why we know each other. <laughs> why I'm a nerd. Well, that's a totally different story. Um, how, <laughs> Genetic, did I get into, I think. <laughs> how did I get into whiskey? Um, it was a bit of a, a serendipitous event uh, way back 12 years ago. Um, I was getting towards the end of undergrad and um, in the summer between years I thought, you know, I've never worked in a, in a bar or in a pub and I thought that's probably a life skill I should learn. Uh, so I took a, a job at the Scotch Whiskey Experience um, up next to the castle here and uh, and that's really where things took a total nosedive in terms of my career. Uh, I was heading for a career in science and medicine which I continued for a bit and got a PhD in, in cardiology but um, Decided to jack that all in uh, and pursue a, a career full time in whiskey. So I set so up this side of the table is doctors, fellas. Yeah. That's why you're on that. You've been relegated yeah. to the plebs. I'm comfortable with that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We've stockpiled uh, hand sanitizer over here as well and toilet rolls. Yes. And and student debt. I've got sixty eight percent alcohol when living over here. So <laughs> that'll, you know, that'll, that'll do. Sort of, yeah, I think. Not not as valuable as our hundred mils of Purell down here. Though. I mean, yeah. that's a huge decision to make from a PhD to. Yeah. In in, in in one career, just to switch completely at a very, very early stage of not even really putting it to test. At least I have the common decency to be totally unqualified to do anything else. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> some, some would say so, so do I, even in both fields. Uh, yeah, it's just a, I think you get that eureka point or that sort of point at which you just wake up and you go, shit, this is actually what I want to do. Aye. You know, at school, you're good at science. And you go, right, your teacher's go, right, you want to go into biomedical science or medicine or, or whatever. But you never get taught about whiskey at school because... Even <laughs> <laughs> even That's the problem with the British <laughs> education system. That's where it all's going wrong. <laughs> if only we'd learn about whiskey at school. Can you, can you imagine my PhD was in whiskey? That'd be far more far more exciting. Uh, but yeah, it was it was just a, a point at which I thought, no, this is this is the career path that I want to want to follow. So uh, at that point, I was already writing Edinburgh Whiskey Blog. Just get that plug in there, you know. Nice, nice. Um, and then when I was writing at my thesis, the, an opportunity came up to revamp uh, a basement venue in the West End into into a whiskey bar, which 
it's still around to this day. It's been open nearly five years now. So well, we popped in there last night. Yeah, good. You enjoy it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great. Great selection, really nice staff, good beers, fresh beers. It was good. Yeah. yeah. Nice um, atmosphere. It's good that it's still still going well. It's not gone down the pan quite yet. Uh, but I left there in the, the middle of 2017 to take up the job that I do now with Royal Mile Whiskies, which is heading up uh, their auction site, Royal Mile Whiskey Auctions. Uh, and that takes us pretty much 12 years in the past uh, 90 seconds or so. Perfect. Yeah, so similar path that most, most of us get on. Is like some passion drives you to do it on the side and write a blog, as most people yeah. of our age probably did at some point. Yeah, because three of us certainly did around here. We did, yeah. yeah. I guess what's your excuse? Uh, I was like whiskey ever since I was a kid. I was just... Because we'd moved to England from Scotland, and I missed Scotland quite a lot. And I, anything Scottish was interesting to me, so food, music, and whiskey. My dad liked whiskey. had Laphroaig in the house every now and then. and uh, So I, I just remember uh, being sort of not hooked as the word, but interested to the point of reading bottles and things. And I eventually got into um, thinking I should I should probably try and do some work in whiskey. Um, so I went to Ardbeg, got a job at the distillery there, did a couple of summers there, and that's where it kind of just took off from that. So where's and that? When's that? Sorry. That's 2005, 2006, two summers on the trot. And that was a pretty informative uh, sort of ball deep dive in the world of whiskey. And I learned a lot. And from then, I sort of meandered around from my 20s thinking that, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll become qualified to do something at some point. And that never occurred. <laughs> so, uh, but, and by that point, it became evident that I had fortuitously wandered into a hobby that was actually lucrative and could be the foundation of some sort of career. So that's where I ended up here. I ended up doing uh, some auction work. I worked for Mulberry Bank Auctions and I was a director at Whiskey Online Auctions and then I just thought well I can there's enough work out there I think that I could probably just do my own thing go solo and so I've been kind of inventing this really random whiskey career ever since. So about 2016 I became self-employed and just I've been yeah making it up on the trot ever since. And then do we ask an alter ego about the other part of the history that you omitted the cleaning agent? Uh, well I'm in contact with the whiskey sponge, but it's pretty quiet because uh, I'm just very busy at the moment. So, no, I don't, um, I haven't written much on the sponge lately. I keep meaning to, but uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, it's the same reason I haven't done a lot of things that I would love to do is that, you know, when you're self employed, you're kind of tied to your own necessity to work and focus on things that actually make you money. So, I have to earn a living and it pushes down certain projects like the sponge or, uh, you know, I'd love to do a podcast of my own. I'd love to do all sorts of things, write a book, you know, all these things. But uh, passion projects end up getting put a little bit on the back burner mm -hmm. and expensive uh, doing stuff, which you just got to do. Even um, when for both of you or Dave, you too, when, when your credibility is derived from that as well, because yeah. that has a value. Might not have, may not pay rent, but yeah. you can trade on it hopefully in the future. You, well, it's like uh, Whiskey Fun. I, um, I contribute to Whiskey Fun and obviously Serge doesn't pay me for that, but uh, it's it's a it's a useful thing to do and I think it is about having a degree of credibility and uh, doing something which people find meaningful and interesting and valuable and you know that feeds into you know brand Angus even though I now want to shoot myself for saying that phrase <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, I detest uh, self-promotion but I recognize that they have to do a degree of sort of going out there and making a bit of a name for yourself if you want to be self-employed to any degree 
Well, you've done it. You're, you've done it naturally. All I think around this table, you've done it just by being being who you are, and then that, that it does the work for you. You don't actively have to promote yourself. So just for just to, before, so we don't get too inside club or nerdy. Just to say, whiskey fun is Serge Valentin's um, whiskey blog before there was such a term. The uh, started, original, I would have thought. It, really, really, the OG. I would yeah, say, yeah, yeah. yeah, and still going tens of thousands of whiskey reviews and a great online resource. Whiskey Sponge is a commentary outlet. It's a it's an outlet for my brain really to sort of let the pressure valve off now and then. It's it's just a mixture of uh, satire, stupidity, ridiculousness, and occasional seriousness that no one else would ever bother to publish. So, so the nerd level is high, but I recommend you you find that if you haven't heard of either of those things and use it as a resource. I'm sure you've come across each of them in some way or the other in the past. So let's introductions <laughs> done. Yeah. Um, so we're here to talk about um, whiskey auctions, I guess, um, with a few of them. I guess we, they, they cover the Old and Ware show while we're here as well. I know Angus has just come back from that. Sadly, I missed it. You got there, didn't you? Um, and that's another one of the... I mean, I, I've seen you at some Old and Ware shows around... Yeah, that's uh, that, so that's a, a festival that I co-organise with my business partner, Johnny McMillan, from Berry Brothers and uh, the Whiskey Exchange. So... It's the fourth year we've run it now, three years in Glasgow, and then this fourth year was just in London. And it's, it's, it is literally what it says on the tin. It's Whiskey Show Old and Rare. It's a show that focuses on and celebrates uh, old-style whiskies. And uh, I, I love it because there's a huge diversity of whiskey in the room, and it's not all about just... There are obviously super expensive ones, but there's also loads of stuff at two, three, four, five pound a dram where you can go in and you get the chance to try long since disappeared or in many cases extremely scarce or obscure or rare but often very delicious and fascinating and educational drams so if you want to go and understand what you know uh, just an example to hand here Dalwini eight-year-old tasted like in the 80s uh, compared to the current 15 year old which you may well be familiar with it's a great way to you know enrich your experience in that respect so that's why we do it and it's yeah, been great fun very i remember the first time meeting you at drambury 2014 and, and you were holding a, a master class with a with a small selection of old whiskies yeah and uh i i just saw this i know I, I want to go on to this i was really interested in, in signing up for that there was another interesting master class on at the same time but i, I wanted to, and i'm so glad i did get into yours because it did open my eyes up to so much more i just think there's uh, you know, I'm fascinated in the history of Scotch whisky, and I like old style whiskies not because they're old, but because they're often very good. And I'm fascinated as to why, you know, you can have. And the example I often use is Glenmorangie ten year old, contemporary ten year old Glenmorangie. Put it next to an old seventies ten year old, and it's like they're from different distilleries. And that's so true of many many malt distilleries in Scotland. And you go back and look at these older examples, older bottled examples. Uh, the characteristics and the flavours are very different and I don't know any, why anyone would ever taste that and not immediately want to know why and so most of my career if you can call it that has been sort of unpicking that uh, that thread of questions and trying to understand it and obviously that involves a lot of uh, tasting research so yeah. <laughs> somebody's got to do it yeah, yeah somebody's got to do it that must be also what drives the topic that we're getting into though because auction the interest in old stamps or old guitars or old whiskies is to understand how things were made in the past. It is to get a deeper enrichment, but that with that comes more desirability and then hence higher prices. The root of it is ultimately the liquid. You know, a good example is something like um, 
I've got on here. So, like, old and, light. I was going to say, and any, anywhere he turns, there's a bottle in this room. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, uh, it's I have space, certain space issues. Um, so, Lagavulin 12, White Horse, right? Uh, there's never going to be more of this liquid. The, you know, all that exists currently uh, exists, and they frequently still get opened. So, they're constantly being destroyed. So, just the general you know, dynamics of supply and demand come into the play. And that's why you know, prices have increased to the point where they are. Uh, and what underpins that is really the internet. You know, when the internet came along and proliferated knowledge about Scotch whiskey and about older style whiskies, it went from being a total, you know, European clique thing to uh, becoming, you know, a much broader global uh, field of interest. And so, of course, prices rise as a result. I'm just going to pour you guys a taste of this so we can... What? Yes. Really? Thank you. We're talking about it. So this is Lagavulin 12-year-old uh, White Horse Edition. This would have been bottled around 1980, 43%. So this is Lagavulin when it was pretty much entirely matured in sherry casks. You'd be looking at a distillation date of around about mid to late 60s, or something like this. Th this stuff, they used to give this away in Italy, this Lagavulin 12. If you bought a case of gin, you got a free bottle of this. You know, <laughs> and, and like, you can't make this shit up. And then, you, you know, you look at see the price tags and things from the 80s. Particularly the 80s is interesting. Like, you go to Oddbins in the 80s, you buy Portellan from G&M for £13 a bottle. Now, okay, today's equivalent for inflation, that's probably like £38, £40. That is still underpriced, you know, that is cheap. So now, when you get all these grumpy old ball bags, you know, pestering everyone online saying, oh, whiskey, I remember in the days when I could pick up a bottle of whiskey for 45 shillings, and it was just the most delightful 50-year-old single malt, and you listen to this shit, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, but it was underpriced. You know, these the quality of this liquid is a few hundred pounds, realistically, considering the time it takes, the materials, the equipment, uh, the whole necessary process mm. to create this flavour has value. And, uh, you know, so that's why it, I'm not surprised at all that auctions have become the phenomena they have. It was always going to happen. It was always going to go that way. Well, Royal Mile Whiskey, sorry, I was going to... Yeah, you, yeah, I'm glad it has. It keeps me in a salary, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but even Royal Mile Whiskey is a physical location. It's been doing very well for a long time. When I first moved to Edinburgh in 2002, it was a bustling place. There were fewer competitors. You know, every woolen mill on the high street wasn't selling whiskey necessarily at that time, but then had to move online. Do you, do you have any awareness of how that works and how that's what that looks like now for Romile Online? Uh, how we do our, well, just, the just, retail business online? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think Royal Mile Whiskey was set up in 1991 and for a long time it it didn't have a website and then when it did it, it was a very small, quick, clunky website like a lot of these late 90s websites were. Um, it's recently undergone a big big rebrand and uh, the website is much, much bigger now um, and we get a huge amount of, of trade online obviously from all over the world. Um, I think what we've seen with the shops in particular, people still love that physical experience though. The shops have never been never been busier. Uh, the Roma Whiskey Shop in Edinburgh and the one in London as well. Um, people still want that experience of speaking to somebody and having a look around a shelf and picking it, picking it up and having a look and going, yeah, oh, look at that, that's cool, what, how much is this and tell me about it and all of that. Um, but the fact that, like Angus said, that just the advent of the internet has just opened up not just Scotch whisky, but any sort of luxury goods or any sort of passion or hobby that people might have. It's just opened that up to 
the world yeah. rather than you having to be standing in a shop in the middle of Edinburgh to pick up a certain bottle of whiskey. Yeah, anyone can share their passion over a podcast, over a YouTube channel, over a blog. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and you know, certainly the internet was one of my, my biggest resources when I first, you know, what is this shit I'm drinking? This is, why am I drinking this? This is fabulous. I need yeah. to know more. It's quite interesting as well because it's, there's some other old style hobbies and things which it totally eviscerated you know stamp collecting was kind of destroyed by the internet because it disrupted uh, the processes by which uh, those <coughs> items held their value and yet with whiskey mm. it's totally been the opposite direction it's it's just because it's such a social thing at heart you know at the end of the day it is about being together with other like-minded people and putting this liquid in your body and getting all you know getting jiggy with it so they say but, uh, it says that on the back of this label yeah no it does I mean that was um, I think that's actually Gallic jiggy uh, yeah. Gallic for sesh I believe just to touch um, on the, the undervalue thing that, that you mentioned before the, the most remarkable thing that I've come across in, in the short auction life that I've had so far is um, is the, the 61.1 from SMWS uh, Scottish Whiskey yeah. Society the first uh, bottle of brewer bottles of single cast brewer closed distillery old Kyleish distillery yeah. called Brewer just so good turned the bottle got handed in guy didn't know how much it was worth guy based in the south of England wanted a valuation on it I turned it around so this bottle we auctioned I think the hammer price was about six and a half grand something like that which like Angus has said that is probably what it's worth it's maybe a bit too much it's, it's maybe a bit too little it's Who worth knows that things to like that, two but. people that ultimately put it that price um, I mean I've tried that whiskey it's beautiful uh, but and, and it's historically fascinating because it's the first independent bottling of Brora and it's a very peaty one, which is unusual for that. If you want to get super nerdy, the flavour is unusual for that vintage. Anyway, um, yeah, it, it's a that's a fascinating bottling and it's interesting talking about that price. Most of us can't afford whiskey at that price level. When it was brought out in the late 80s, it still had the yeah. sticker on from SMWS in the back. Do you know what it was when it came out? Oh, are we going to play higher or lower? Uh, I reckon... It's a good idea uh, for a game, I guess. We should do that later. <laughs> I think, well, I have seen that catalogue from SMWS because I... Uh, this is the sort of thing that I do, but I once read through the entire back catalogue of uh, SMWS outturns. Why? In order to tr because Why? because I, was <laughs> looking, I was looking for bottlings which uh, most people wouldn't know existed, and I was like, well, I want to know, I want to be ahead of the game and know what's out there. Um, Some sort of Gollum-esque thing. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a big, big, sweaty, naked nerd in my pants, just like coveting <laughs> SMWS like data. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we're naked while recording this. Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm... God, was it £13 a bottle? That's exactly right. Yes! Wow. Look at that. Yeah, yeah, it paid off. <laughs> Hours of my life suddenly come good. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it, we opened that for the Old and Rare show uh, one year. Uh, we did a... It was part of a old sort of Scotch Malt Whiskey Society bottling retrospective and, yeah, mm. amazing whiskey. And I understand why people with that... You know, at the end of the day, when you've got more money, you will spend more of it on whiskey if you love whiskey. And... It's love of whiskey and love of liquid and history that is pushing those prices. Ultimately, you can you can take all the you know stupid Dalmore, Macallan, lofty gazillion pound bottles. Uh, they they are tend to be something a bit separate, but the the vast majority of the auction market is supported by a love of liquid, ultimately. Yeah. So there's a distinction between new releases because I think the things you just said are new releases mm -hmm. from Balvenie or Dalmore or Glenfiddich, the big brands that are. Twenty-five thousand pounds yeah. each is not not an intrinsic value the same way that this was keg. Because you said something earlier about about the liquid does have a value above of the course, price tag, yeah. and that's interesting and debatable probably. But that 
ultimately it comes down to opinion and perception, but most of the really... So take, for instance, something like uh, Lefroy 1967, bottled by Samaroli, an Italian bottler uh, in the 1980s. That's since become one of the holy grail bottles for anyone that likes whiskey. Like, people dream to be able to taste this whiskey. Hammer Price was uh, about £28,000 a bottle last time uh, it went to auction. And before that, it had been 60. The first one that came to auction for a long time hit 60k Hammer Price. Now, uh, that has been driven by a widespread re intellectual recognition and uh, consensus of that whiskey's lofty quality. And that is what has driven that price. Uh, but That's kind of a perfect example. That's, yeah, That's the, how it should be. That is the perfect example. And... You know it, that has been driven because so many of those bottles have been open and tasted, and there is you know a wealth of memory and experience supporting that price. The whiskey market today and at auction, the secondary market, people keep talking about bubbles. It is not just one bubble. It is much more mature and complex than it ever was. It is you know it's it's lots of different bubbles. It's a froth, if you will. So you've got <laughs> you know a foam party. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It's, you know I mean. <laughs> whiskey. So, oh God, that, I just I just went into uh, that Amazon TV show mode where they sit in the car and just like make up really naff whiskey wraps. Let's not do that. Um, so it's another great idea. Uh, <laughs> Write it down, Dave. And hello to Colin Hamden White. Um, anyway, so what was I talking about? Froth. Yeah. So these different bubbles. You've got the the old style whiskies, which you know this Lagavulin we're, we're tasting. Perfect example. Uh, stuff which is, you know, was was cheap, was standard bottlings at the time, or early independent bottlings. Lots of them been opened. They were affordable at the time, and it's just supply and demand has pushed the price up. Generally, because the quality is high. Uh, but you've got all these new releases, and that's much more fragile. That's much more susceptible to um, bubbles bursting and price crashes and things like that and corrections, because not many of them get opened. Lots of you know new collectors, you know, which is say thousands of people that are now interested in whiskey, you know, since the last five years or so, they're collecting lots of things, but they're not always opening a lot of stuff. So much more whiskey is getting hoarded now. So. You know, the reason these Lagavulins are expensive is because so many of them have been destroyed and consumed. You know, and ultimately whiskey's, you know, at its best in its moment of destruction because it's being drunk and, you know, enjoyed. That's and yet, a beautiful image. I love that. I'm pretty sure I might have stolen that from Ian Buxton. So okay. uh, let that, you know, <laughs> shout out to Ian there. Um, so it's, you know, this is the problem is that you have a lot more whiskey being hoarded now and kept. And, you know, you meet people sometimes, say, I've just uh, invested 47k in Aaron Peacock. Got a <laughs> warehouse full of it. I, well, good luck with that. Uh, so that sort of phenomena does have an impact and could well have a quite significant impact down the line. But it doesn't necessarily affect and wouldn't necessarily affect these older style bottles. And on top of that, you have these mega expensive things. So, we, you know, these uh, Macallan uh, 1926, Adami and Blake bottlings, uh, mm. of which, you know, there's only supposedly 40 bottles in existence or were. There's all sorts of stories like one got destroyed in Japan. And I know that uh, I'm pretty sure a couple have been opened over the years. I mean, I've seen an open bottle in a bar in Japan. So, uh, you know, that is more getting into the realms of fine art and, you know, it's becoming something that is beyond it being about whiskey. It's something which is to do with the label artwork, it's to do with the historic history of what that product is, and it's the brand power. Ultimately, Macallan 
is a brand which sits outside whiskey to an extent. It does not see its competitors as Glenfiddich or Glenlivet. It sees Rolex and Ferrari as its main kind of uh, competitor brands. So that's absolutely a phenomenon which is happening with those bottles. I bought a couple of boutique whiskies with this if we want to um, add a boutique in our glass. I bought. Mate, um, good luck to follow that up. That <laughs> I, I know, I was just thinking that when I tasted it, I thought, oh, bloody Yeah, we hell. probably shouldn't have started with Lagavulin 12 White Horse, but that, that to me is beautiful because this was actually the whiskey which got me into old style whiskies. A little Belgian man gave it to me from the boot of his car in 2005, and I was like, Fuck me, that is different from the 16 year old. A little Belgian man gave it to me from the boot of his car. <laughs> I may have been hallucinating, I'm not sure, but uh, you <laughs> seem That probably. is just. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking, what am I going to follow that with? Now, I bought a Springbank and I bought a Rosebank. Um, both highly collectible, both on the market. That, that's, those are good examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Um, Does anyone want a, a drizzle of non alcoholic fluid to rinse their glass? We're going to put this some is water, water, by the way, so for what, anyone what listening. You, yeah. <laughs> What would you pay for that then? To your, to your, what's so the intrinsic the, value? Ignore, ignore the historical relevance as a juice. If we can be as objective as possible, it, it's hard because you know if you don't like the flavour of peat, you probably pay, you know, twenty five quid. But if you're in love with this kind of old style peat flavour, you know, drier, earthier, more exotic fruits, very, very old school sort of saline sherry. That fusion of flavours is extinct elsewhere. You, no distillery produces that character now. So to me, you know, it is worth a few hundred pounds. And, and also, I speak as someone who has created a kind of career of monetizing open bottles. I'm not interested. I wouldn't do this at all if all I was doing was just buying and trading and selling uh, closed bottles. You know, it's entirely about the liquid for me. So I've created a situation for myself where I can spend you know, a few thousand pounds on a bottle in some instances, but only because I know I'm able to sell it with a margin and then reinvest in other bottles. That's amazing, though. So, so yeah. what number? Give a number. Uh, Chris? For this at auction? No, 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 no. Or, what would, what the intrinsic value, like what you would pay for it, ignoring the historical relevance, the added value of that. I, my, what I would say currently is, in the, the way things are yeah. priced today, I'm comparing it to, I would spend the same as a big brand 30-year-old. Yeah, so if McCallan or... Sorry? Sorry, maybe up to £800? Yes, exactly. That, that's the figure that I'm thinking that I would happily spend on a bottle. I mean, that that is absolutely the delicious. The price at auction is about 800 for these. Okay. Some some versions, which are a bit rarer, go to a grand. But usually 800 to 1000 is what you'll pay at auction. That seems to get like a deal point. to me. I would agree, yeah. I mean, that... <laughs> I don't know, that's market value for that flavour and that bottling. And they turn up pretty regularly. Once these things dry up, uh, I, you know, that'll be two grand a bottle before right. very long when that happens for sure. But don't, that, don't you then need to maintain the interest? There needs to be that person who gives a shit. Yeah. But will there, that person there, continue? There will be. I mean, you look at the what's happening in Asia. So uh, I was out in uh, China and, uh, and Hong Kong at the start of this year. I think I possibly gave them the virus, but we'll see. Um, so <laughs> I was out there and I went to two festivals uh, on the trot, one in uh, Guangzhou and one in Hong Kong, and they were full of really educated, young, middle-class people, you know, early 20s, very even split, much more than you see in Europe of male and female. Absolutely. And they were really talking about whiskey and asking questions in a very intelligent and curious way and they were streets ahead of where they were two years before and because they've come to whiskey in the current kind of age they understand that it's a valuable product and they accept prices and they don't talk about prices so much what they talk about is why does this taste like this 
How does it taste like this? What ingredients went into this? And I had some of the most interesting late night discussions about whiskey with a huge crowd of people in, in bars, you know, all sharing stuff, tasting things, talking Wild. deep. You know, I, I was not expecting to go out there and be trying to explain why the shift in working men's beer drinking tastes in the 60s affected the flavour of Scotch whisky, And yet I was with these, like, 23-year-old Asian kids who just just were at that level of, like, nerdiness and geekiness and fascination. And anyone that thinks that that isn't going to have a massive impact in the next decade on Scotch whisky is kidding themselves, I think. Love it. All right, we'll talk about price, we're talking about all that. Let's Let's play one of these games. We joked about high or lower. Okay. This game is called Bargain Hunting. Kind right. of like Bargain Hunt. You know, and that's a TV show where people get a certain amount of money. They have to go to auction and buy things. This has nothing to do with that. <laughs> but Jen and John, who aren't with us, they've set this up. Um, so one of us needs to be the host, but we need to solve an anagram first, which is a mixed up letter, you know, letter, letter jumble, okay? So we have to figure out what it says, and then that person will be the host. Uh, let me read it out loud for the listeners at home. Dave, could you? Because I keep turning my head away okay. from the mic. So the role of the game host goes to the last person, the last person, oh shit, to unscramble the anagram, uh, which is Acid Horrid Gong, um, and it's a well-known whiskey collector from Colorado. Oh, I'm sorry to say, but there is actually a well-known whiskey collector from Colorado called Acid Horrid Gong, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> you guys have missed a trick here. They've missed the trick. <laughs> it's um, not an anagram at all. Acid. I mean... Uh, I know who it is because I've, I've literally been there recently. So uh, uh, I'll. I have no idea. <laughs> Congratulations, Dave! You yeah, are the host. Looks like it would be me. Are we going to? So what's this? the answer, guys? Richard Gooding. Richard Gooding, and why? Why do we know his name? So uh, Richard Gooding was a collector who remained uh, pretty much under the radar because he was in that kind of unique position of getting into good quality malt whiskey in the 90s or even late 80s and having an enormous stack of cash with which to indulge his hobby. I mean, he, he had a kind of soft drink empire in uh, in the States, so he was already, you know, even by today's standards, vastly wealthy and just was able to do things like fly out to Scotland with his private plane and his pilot and go to Isla and just stock up on Black Bamore. Uh, you know, he, he, but he did land on Isla to go to the distillery and buy Blackburn Moor. He, he flew to Sky, uh, then they would drive around Speyside in a Rolls Royce just picking up shit from but again, distilleries. Yeah, we can't roll our eyes at that because, like you said earlier, I think it's so important. If I had the wherewithal to do this kind of stuff, because I love whiskey and I love old guitars, I would do it. Yeah, I would fly to Nashville, I would fly to California, I would fly to co- places that had the guitar I'm after or the bottle I'm after because I can't. Yeah, and I think it's disingenuous for people to, to claim otherwise. You know, it just be honest you know, we would all love to do this i mean i wouldn't turn my nose up at it and uh, and the, but the thing is he did open a lot of you know when i was there so that lag of woolen we're trying there that's one of the open bottles that came from the gooding collection which had a, had a bar and he'd have things like you know 10 year old spayburn next to a 1972 killyloch you know just be <laughs> it's just this muddled mix of all sorts of stuff but so many open bottles uh, he loved drinking nice whiskies with his pals and they would literally just tear the cork out of a black bamore and you know that'd be it in the night so he was under the radar and unknown until this collection he passed away uh, sadly a couple of years ago and this collection uh, came to market through whiskey auctioneer so that's how he's you know the talk of the town on facebook where everyone's moaning about filling levels but that's another story (laughs) 
Do you fancy a drop of... Um, yes. Let's get our glasses. Right. Rose pink. Oh, and then we will much. play the game. I will quickly go over the rules that uh, Jen and John have written in here. Um, but it's pretty straightforward. We're going to be shown bottlings that have sold uh, previously at auction, mostly recently, so they should be current-ish. Um, various auctions around the world. Thank you, EFI. Thank you very much. So what's what's going in our glass, Dave? Uh, this is batch one Rosebank. I think this is a 26-year-old batch one. It, um, it's a fairly large batch of this. Uh, bottled, it's uh, 84. Uh, 48.5, um, and this one, I believe, came out of a butt. Okay, why is Rosebank special? Uh, the distillery closed in 1993. It was the last... It was quite unique at the time, because it was a triple distillation and worm tub um, condensing. Um, the distillery, so it was mothballed in 93. I think the stills were stolen over a Christmas holiday in 2008, was it? 2008? Not guilty. Not guilty. Um, but yeah, scrap, scrap. They were they were just taken away for scrap copper, basically. Um, st stolen out. I mean, how do you get stills out of a out of a distillery probably without anybody noticing? Over the Christmas? Job. Some kind of silenced angle grinder was probably deployed. Uh, and um, yeah. So recently, the the distillery has been say the distillery was sold off to uh, British Waterways because it lies Scottish Waterways. I don't know um, Waterways Canal people. Um, and recently it's been purchased and uh, looking at reopening the distillery. They have, they were, they're quite uh, enthusiastic at first, thinking they might be able to get going in by the end of 1919 on, on certain, uh, 2019 on, on certainly on the uh, earlier reports, but I think it's probably late this year or early next year before they're really going to get um, back. But they're going to keep the same stills, they've got all the plans for the stills, they're going to re recreate the stills, they will keep the worm tub condensers, so triple distilled, worm tub condensing. I think they're trying to be as close to uh, the, the original, so to speak, as possible. I'm really interested to see what they do with it, and so I'm glad I, yeah. it's coming back. There's all yeah, this cool. talk, you know, about, um, especially with Brora coming back as well, saying, oh, how will that affect prices, and oh, but there won't be the, like it used to be, so, I don't care. It's it's new interesting distilleries that have got a bit of and you know Portellan is going to be built from scratch fine but you know it'll still be interesting Brora as so much of it originally you know the original distilleries so much of it is still it's intact still there, yeah. that's really interesting and to a similar degree Rosebank so I'm very happy they're coming back and I don't think it'll affect the bottle prices like do you think so no neither I think if anything it'll it'll bring these brands to people's minds that maybe hadn't thought of them before or weren't aware of them yeah um <clears throat> because you see in the press you know new distillery or distillery reopening roseburn roseburn rosebank resurrection things like that it's going to put these brands into people's minds who didn't know about them before because they closed 20 years ago 30 years ago in some cases 35 years ago now yeah i mean to be able to say you know in six years time we might be able to be having the new five-year-old brewer that's fucking cool that's yeah. cool you know and 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 you know, there's lots of cynics, naysayers saying, uh, but I, I, know, I think I think it's cool. I think it's great. And uh, the question for me is just: Do these companies have the willpower to actually do something really interesting with production, or are they just going to be oh, yawn it? M strain distilling yeast. I said I wouldn't talk about yeast. I'm sorry, but you know, <laughs> yeah, that. So, are they going to do something really interesting and make characterful malt whiskey? It doesn't have to taste like 72 Brora, as long as it tastes like something that deserves to be from that distillery and tastes like it comes from the, you know, the the barren tundra of the Eastern Highlands. But what if it costs <clears throat> as much as a 72 Brora? Because why? If you if you were investing, if you were behind the distillery, if you were a company who, who got the name Rosebank and were able to rejuvenate it, would you? 
release a three-year-old at well this is this is this touches on yeah this touches on a very good point so bearing in mind everything i said earlier about whiskey being underpriced for a long time there's plenty brands now which are overpricing and pricing is a delicate balance and i think that while yes we recognize that uh whiskey was underpriced and that good quality whiskey deserves to be expensive uh there is a fine line and you know if they make Brora, you know, 100% floor malted, using their own source of peat and doing something interesting with fermentation, distillation, worm tubs, you know, that really go to town and make it like a working museum. That when their five-year-old comes out and they say, okay, five years old, but it's £150 a bottle, I'm okay with that because I think some five-year-old whiskies can deserve that price if the quality is there. Yeah. But if they're just going to make, you know, if they're just going to glenordify it and just make, you know, modern day very very hyper efficient maximum yield driven uh, fairly homogenized distillate and then they just charge a brewer a price because they're able to slap that brand on the label then uh, oh, fuck off that's i'm not interested in that that's bullshit as far as i'm concerned we're all nodding around the table yeah, <laughs> yeah. this rosebank's really lovely and it continually reminds me of daft mill every time i try rosebank now i think there's something weird like uh, DNA floated out of Rosebank and ended up in Daft Mill sometimes because they both share this really... So Daft Mill's a distillery in Fife, farm yeah. distillery in Fife that has... That's probably 10 years old now. How old? How, yeah, well, it's uh, 2005. Oh, was the 2005. Oh, right. Yes, yeah. thanks. Yeah, yeah. and the, but it, you try Daft Mills, they often share this very lean, grassy, citric edge which often recalls Rosebank to me. This is, this is beautiful. Cool. Mm. This is Rosebank, you know, when mature and it's just got that wonderful... Sort of soft, fragrant, floral, fruity. Oh, the nose is just delicious, and it? it's so floral and fragrant. Mm. But then still carries quite a nice weight on the palate because right, of those well, worm yeah, worm tub, giving that weight. Yeah, gotta love a little tubby. All right, I've been trying to play a game for about thirteen minutes, and I'm sorry, but we, this we, more it. evidence that we do not edit. So deal with it. Um, Dave, so just, yeah, so we'll have twenty seconds to guess the price of a bottling. It's uh, Price is Right rules. If you guess over, your guess is out. So you want to be under the the price that it ends up going at. Please pay attention to the state of the box, state of the label, because obviously you guys know that affects the the cost. Um, and so we're, we're guessing the hammer price basically. That's what we are. Okay, that's right. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'm shit at this. So, so I, and I get paid to do this. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, for someone who doesn't even look at auction sites at all at the moment. Um, yeah, I. Well, you've got nothing think, to lose then. I've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Do we have safe corks for pulling? Because on the on our show we we yeah, buzz yeah, in yeah. by going pop. Dave, do you want to get ready with that? Um, that well, please note the note that Jen's written at the bottom. Okay, this uh -huh. is that should function well as a, a pulling cork. Oh, I like that. I'll take that. Um, let me check this one. Oh yeah. Oh deep. That is uh, well. Yeah, I mean that's you can you can really hear the sherry flavour in that one. <laughs> that's a deep mahogany pull. The good thing is this all feels very boutiquey. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, lot number one. The first lot, already been mentioned, is a black Beaumore. Uh, it's got a nice wooden box with something emblazoned on it that says black Beaumore. It has... This came in from Whiskey Auction, so do, do we have to guess in Euros? I is believe it? so, yes. Yeah, so and there's no hammer the price, uh, so there's no buyer's commission at Whiskey Auction, so... Uh, so that uh, top will... left that does affect. Thank you. Yeah. That's helpful. The top left hand corner, yes, it's in euros. I'll give us a clue. I think on each one. Details. It's a 1964 bottling, extra dark, extra sherry. It's yeah, black Beaumont is the, what it's been called. Uh, there were 2,000 bottles. This um, is version one. Any, anyone have anything else to say? 
Uh, it's the best Blackbamore by some distance. That's also an impressive fill level. It's very a good fill level, very, yeah, yeah. Very leaky. Absolutely. The so cheap corks, this is the problem we talk about fill levels a bit. All, all these official bottlings and independents as well from mid-90s, late-80s, pish corks. Total crap. So no wonder fill levels go down. So that's the liquid evaporates over time, listeners. Is that the, the 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 level of the spirit in the glass is sometimes very low. This one looks high. It's above the shoulder, above the, it's in the neck, um, and there's a note that the cover of the wooden box is warped, so the books the box can't actually be closed. That might affect cost. Let's give our prices. We have 20 seconds. Go. I think that sold for. 19,000 euros. That's oh. true, there's not really a bar port. It's not poor, is it? Yeah, it's not really. Let's yeah. do it anyway. 19,000. 19,000. Fuck it, that was a lot lower than that. I was going, yeah. I, in my head I had seven and a half, but... Um, oh, I'm in between. I'm going to go for... That fill level. Box a bit fucked though. I'm going to go for 15k. 15,000, and you said seven? I said seven and a half. I have no idea. One dollar! Because if you're under, if everyone's over, I think it's lower, less than that. We've got a message that says, revisit page three, not that kind, if Dave is confused. <laughs> wow. Go to the next, I guess, and that's where it's going to be. 12,710 12, euros. I mean, that is cheap. Like, if you look at uh, Whiskey Auctioneer and some of the other auction sites around, you know, if you get a bottle with that full level, the first edition Black Blackmore for 12,710, that's pretty cheap. Chris, yeah. you're over. I'm, I'm, I'm the closest, but I'm over. I'm over by some distance. Uh, well over. <laughs> David's yours. Well done. Do we win these actual bottles? I'm no. going to start playing much more. Can we open it as long as we can choose anything in here to drink? <laughs> I mean, you, you, you literally can. Anything you want that's, that's open, you can try. Uh, that's fine. Wow. Yeah, I guess next slide, please. I hope this is going to work for people okay, yeah. having to suffer through listening. Okay, now we have an Angus Dundee five-year-old pure malt Scotch whiskey, which is a previous term for what was a blended malt. Does that say five or eight? Pure malt would have been a single. Five-year-old. Yeah, so this is also... Would this be single? No, this would be a vatted malt or a blend, what we call now a blended malt. So a mix of malt whiskies from different distilleries, but no grain whiskey, so it's not a blended whiskey. Well, It'd be pure malt whiskey. I pulled my cork. I am saying 42 pounds. 42 euros, even. Euros, sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go 75. Mm. Let me hear the cork. You went first last time. I'll go first this time. Yeah. Well, it's a 70 CL, so we're looking for late 90s rather than 80s. Five-year pure malt. Yeah, I'm going to go quite low. I'm going to... Who, who, who's the lowest so far? I said 42. You said 42. I'm going to 35. Did I say 42? I can't remember. Breakfast. I'm trying to think what, the, what sort of prices whiskeyauction.com gets for these sorts of things. I, I'm going to go... I'm going to go 47. The grand reveal. Yeah. 11 <laughs> euros. <laughs> <laughs> 11 euros. Someone's still going, guys. Oh, we're all over. We're all yeah, over. we're all over. Is that we're dead? We're we're dead. No one got, yeah, no one got that one. Oh, okay, we let that go. We let that slip through the lip. I say Angus Dundee is a real deal oh, out there if you can find it. Here we have a Kurosawa, closed uh, cult following Japanese distillery. Uh, can, anything else you guys can tell us about it? 1981. One of 45 bottles, that'll be expensive. Also, like, Kurosawa is such a ridiculous, silly thing. Uh, some of them are, are beautiful liquid, and also these bottles you need to be really careful because they're sealed in the most basic, simple wrapper seal thing, and they're so easy to refill. So this is a number one drinks company with a wide cork on top. Yeah. Um, one I, of those type yeah. of bottles. I don't one. like these decanter bottles either because the, they they evaporate very easily. And that much headspace, you know, just put it in a proper bottle. I mean, oh no, never mind. So with that much headspace, asking for trouble, I guess, because it's 
Yeah, I mean, asking for, you know, it, it just it diminishes the long-term life of the whiskey. And I know there's people who say, whiskey's for drinking, but, like, we would not be able to drink things like that, like a Vulin 12, if people before us had not left it in dark cupboard for years. You know, it's... But that was a screw top. That was screw top, Classic. yeah. Still, yeah, and screw top. And it worked. Uh, yeah, good cork and screw top, they all protect the level really well, so... But this is these are very silly things. And, you know, you can tell that these were put out without really that much thought into beyond the label. Like, we've got this expensive whiskey, put it in these bottles, do a nice label, boom, money. Yeah. And, well, understandable, but, uh, yeah. So, hammer price? 14,702. You've seen the next slide. No, I'm just <laughs> saying, saying shit Where's with confidence. confidence. I could go for seven and a half grand. 14, yeah, seven. I'm going way higher. I'm going like 35k. What? Yeah, I was thinking I'm going to go 24,403. <laughs> right, so we're roughly seven between us each. Let's go. 16,000. 16. We were all over. That's a bargain. What did I say? Were you not 14? Who's... Jen? I said seven and a half. Are these recent auctions or is some of this data a bit aged? Can you let us know before the end of the recording? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there could be some... Uh, yeah out of data rate occurring here. That bottle should be higher than that by now. I mean, should be. This is another example of, uh, like, there's a, a degree of cultural uh, specificity about Karazawa that attracts, you know, you know people that, that are in love with Japanese whiskey and the idea that it's closed. All these perfect storm of influences come together and creates silly prices. To me, it's not worth that. And the liquids for the early 80s Karazawas are beautiful, but uh, they can be quite brutal and tough. And like you get this really quite jammy, tannic sherry sometimes, which is a bit like eating coal. And uh, yeah, I've always felt that way. And I said it to Marchin's face and he poured a very expensive Karazawa in my face. <laughs> so Well, that's, <laughs> that's what you get. At least you got him before he was making gin. Could have been a lot worse. That hasn't gone well for him. Yeah, uh, he just, just seems to. This week is in the news that he just sold a majority share. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he's done pretty well there. Yeah, no, I mean, fair play to the man. He's got a kind of Midas touch. Uh, yeah. Uh, right, I've Next. got an empty glass. We need to just. Right, what, let's what recharge. What else we got? That, that Rosebank well, was beautiful. Yeah, thanks, Dave. The other one I bought along was a Springbank. Right, I'll, I'll, let's do that, and then I've got a Springbank we can do afterwards. Okay, can I. Cool. Drop a spring bank. I always think of spring bank as every every drop is precious because they make so little of it and it's old school style of making. Alright, Sam Subconscious here. I'd just like to apologise on behalf of my Canadian consciousness for not continuing with the game as planned. But don't worry, I'll give him a nudge a bit later on. For now, you're just going to have to listen to his whiskey waffle for a bit. You may be wondering why I sound like an 80s double glazing salesman. And to be honest, the truth is I'm not Sam subconscious at all. I'm the pissed off editor pretending that this circus is all part of the fucking plan and wondering how I put up with these bearded boozy bastards. Anyway, better continue with it, eh? Floor malted, 100% floor malted. Um, they make whiskey because they love whiskey rather than... It seems like less of a commercial. They are the most old style currently in operation apart from, I would say, probably Dornoch Distillery, who do mad things with fermentation. But in terms of, you know, the whole mechanical package of whiskey making, 
then they are kind of the most traditional. But I have a bit of a bee in my bonnet about Springbank because I think they could go further. They're totally free. They have no, you know, no big company pushing them to meet targets or quotas. They could just do whatever they wanted. So the fact that they don't do something more interesting with fermentation, or you know, they, and things like they change their peat source from Macrahanish to Tom and Tal. Why would you do that? It's insane. Peat is one of the most underrated sources of geographically specific flavour in Scotch whisky, and the fact that more people don't do interesting stuff with it is, is nuts. And down the line, that's what's going to become problematic for uh, whisky production in Scotland is, uh, you know, environmental protections around peat are only going to get super, super tight. I saw something hilarious this week, or my colleague John pointed it out. There's a book called Isla Voices that we bought to get some stories from Isla's history. And the editor was it all like, like <laughs> most of the voices were that's, totally that's level. voices in my yeah. <laughs> but they they had relayed a story that was from an April Fool's that Billy Abbott wrote for the Whiskey Exchange, and they relayed as fact about peat peat bogs drying up. <laughs> yeah, <that's nice. laughs> just amazing in a published. I don't know. I thought that was brilliant. So this is a boutique release. It's a twenty-one year old. It's. Um, a batch of 911 bottles. Uh, we bottled this at 47.5%. I, I, I picked this up because I was just running through um, the awards that we picked up last year, and this was a gold medal winner in the IWSC, I think it was, last year. Which is why I bought it along. When you guys bottle stuff, do you often reduce a bit from cast strength? Yeah. Yeah, I do that a bit sometimes with the whiskey sponge bottlings because I think it just... You, it just gels things together a bit. You get that bit more cohesion in the bottle. It forces um, a chemical reaction. Yeah, really, absolutely. And that helps, I think. And you can still have, you know, a good strength. You know, if you take mm -hmm. 60 down to 55, it's not really, you're yeah. not affecting the power. You're just giving the whiskey a bit more complexity, I think. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a good, good practice. Um, this is nice, but I think, for me, that's got one of these problematic sherry cask things that the you know, Springbank has very inconsistent sherry casks and some of them do have that kind of gun flint and uh, fart to say yeah, it yeah well I was just trying to think of you know Serge once said something very amusing after trying a really terrible whiskey which was if, cab if cabbages could fart and uh, this is not <laughs> we're not some quite bottling at one point wasn't it oh, wait <laughs> what do cabbages eat They'd be fine. Other cabbages. Yeah, uh, notorious <laughs> cannibals. Um, but uh, yeah, this is this has got a touch of. It's not that. It's not bad. It's just it's got. It's leaning in that direction. Um, well, that, you shouldn't have told me that because I very reluctantly finished my rosebank. I thought that was gorgeous. Rosebank was, yeah, was, yeah, rose was delicious. There's a yeah. glass of honey and fruit. I mm. loved it. Well, now I got a bit of fart in my face. Let's continue playing the game. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this was a Madeira, but mm. oh. The Blended Willow Bank, Ooh. Boutique Whiskey Company, 17 years old, batch one, blended New Zealand whiskey. So that's Willow Bank, that's blended at birth, yeah. I believe. Okay. Yeah. So New Zealand grain and New Zealand malt blended at birth. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So Seagram's was doing that at all their sites in Scotland, at a lot of their sites in Scotland as well. Um, but they were certainly do this with Seagram's, the Canadian company, owned this distillery and then yeah. ran it to the ground like they almost did with many in Scotland. So something, well. you know... 17-year-old, wouldn't it have been hanging around for a while as well? Because I think we bottled it when it was 20-something years old, but it must have been in neutral containers so ah. it must have been out of wood so we've got to think um, about when we launched this it was we, you, you did the sums quickly and thinking well hang right. on that's been hanging around for a little while before we bottled it now I know I've yeah. had some Japanese whiskey like that well Willowbank that closed in 
what the late 90s hey Siri 99 yeah. <laughs> someone's phone's still on Siri go find it out for us please um, this so this is uh, exotic and looks pretty dark and sexy quite yes. rare so probably you know you would think into the hundreds but then it's boutique so you Low tens, something like that. I don't know. It's twenty quid. So <laughs> yeah, and it's in like in a two hundred seventy-five or some stupid size too, right? Uh, yeah, you guys are doing fifty-one CL now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think more boutique than being in a category of one. You know, you always win gold medals when you're oh, Speyside whiskey's in a fifty-five hundred ten milliliter bottle. Oh, surprisingly, we won again. No, that's good. I, mean, I got to say, sorry, this spring bank we have in our glass is just filthy enough for me. That's no, it's 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 kind of uh, there's a is an, an, a pleasant S and M edge to yeah yeah it's it's Madeira, rubbery yeah 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 it's a Madeira one ah right so this could be similar stocks to that eleven year old Madeira thing that they did is it is it full term Madeira cast I have no idea no yeah. just I mean we've just looked at a lot of our Springbank we've got bought from private collectors basically mm-hmm. um, when people when when the distillery was in a bit of trouble and it sold off a lot yeah. of What's interesting uh, is, and this is just interesting, I'm not saying anything, not implying anything, just saying that, you know, a lot of casks coming out of Springbank that are being bought from private collectors, a lot of them seem to be down at, you know, 46%, make of that what you will. Natural cast strength, 46, 45, 47. Gosh, isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they come with a bunch of empty bottles as well. No, they just. Uh, I'm just. Uh, I'm just implying that uh, it's a bit unusual that for cast strengths to be consistently like that, because some of them, you know, are way up in the fifties, or should, you know, should, and you would think that that would be the normal strength range for some casts like that. But uh, I'm just implying uh, that there could have been some nefarious practice going on. But uh, or an experimental practice. They're liber- they're not trading. They don't need to be sixty three point five. And it, I certainly, in my experience, we like to fill certain casks lower than yeah. 50 yeah uh, yeah because it matures especially when we're finishing stuff I find that it makes and oxygen does most of the work anyway not the wood at that point so anyway Springbank yeah. what are you saying come on say what you're saying uh, you said no, you're going to be controversial today come on I thought you were implying that they dumped glass oh, and they emptied glass that didn't sell into cast which I've heard of uh, I've heard uh, that there's um, well uh, that there's extra bottles of official 21 year olds out there all right, so be. a moment ago you almost got some work with Springbank saying what we could do more experimentally. And that's, get, that's, that's, get work that's finished Springbank. now. I'm never going to get work with Springbank. <laughs> Speaking I, of like, Rosebank and Springbank, sorry, Angus, let's we get, get back, back to Willowbank. Can we get back to Willowbank? I Bank? started my career with bits of Burnt Bridge. And went from <laughs> 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 so that makes you an ogre, someone under a bridge, maybe? Are you? Yeah, I'm just uh, yeah, a s- sort of sponge ogre with... You know, <laughs> Spongy no friends. <laughs> okay. This All right, Willow so back to Willow Bank. Bank. I'm going 150. No, 125. Euros again. Right. I am complaining that this is all taken from, like, you know, obviously whiskey auction in the 90s. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you can search on auction sites in the UK and arrange by uh, recent sale. That's uh, uh, So this I'm going to guess. Jen knows that. Angus, that's not nice. <laughs> I'm such a horrible person, I know. Um, I'm guessing... 137. I'm going to go on a bang on 100. 100. I'm going to think that I'm less... That you're all over... I'm going to say $1 again. (laughs) $1. $1. 
122. I mean, I was one. No, you're seven. over. You're over. I was over, but you know, close enough. Chris again. Oh, nice. so you? Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. So one three seven. Yeah. So, see so, maths. No. Do we have one more? Is that so we, no, it's we, not about closers. It's, when it, we, had that, it's when we had that listed, that was uh, retail price, recommended retail price was 144 pounds. In pounds. In so pounds. that actually went for less than its retail price. Looks like it, yeah. Interesting. So yeah. why do you think that, why, why, does, why does that happen? Because actually I've seen that a bunch of times. We all probably all have, but yeah, again, it's, it's an indicative of what It's probably master of malt about. dumping stock through auctions. <laughs> <laughs> master malt, what's that? Uh, it's um, Is it isn't, that, isn't that Robin Tuchek's company? I can't remember. <laughs> you said you wanted controversy. Yeah, um, no, I bring it, baby. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So no, I mean, I think Robin Tuchek's doing his um, his chemtrail series of Blackadder at the moment. So yeah, um, leaving worms and more than wood in, in each. Yeah, I think you get like um, I don't know. You, there's a lot of carcinogens in, in his bottlings, like. I'm pretty sure I found a bung in one once. Um, <laughs> I got high off a bottling of black adder. <laughs> You're not supposed to mainline it. <laughs> That's what you do. You just mainline the char out of a black adder bottle. It's like, <laughs> 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 oh, Daddy, my whiskey's got crumbs. <laughs> oh dear. So uh, right. That was a red wine. I think that was in red wine barrel. Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah. I mean, it is. It is. Is that New Zealand Pinot Noir casks or something? Uh, like that? Similar. I mean, we've got um, Merlot grapes on the... Uh, I think they're meant to be Merlot grapes and roses. I'm not sure what the... That's a very specific... Like, to actually choose a genus of grape for the label, that's admirable. Mm. I like that. But um, I'm not sure if it was in Merlot at all. But, um, yeah, we've got red wine um, casks on there. And it really was a thick, woody mm. whiskey. I mean, it really was. It's not... Some people absolutely loved it. And when we had it at a show, people were drawn to it because... People seem to be drawn to colour for some reason. I um, would guess that I would not like that whiskey. Uh, but, mm. yeah. Uh, no, people do. People go do Lally for, for darkness. Oh. Yeah. I they certainly do. I mean, it's good for me because I just hoover up loads of, like, pale as water Glen Grant five year olds at auction for not very much money. So Which are delicious. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love yeah. Them. <laughs> so good. Just pure. Well, just, just start, well, speaking no. of which, no, actually. Speaking of which, pale, let's try this Springbank. Me again. Congratulations, you made it to the end of part one because I ran out of coffee. We'd usually use some slick American guy with a smooth buttery voice to tell you what part two has in store, but the poor bastard fell asleep around 43 minutes in. So, part two. Fuck me, have I already got to do part two? Uh, yeah, uh, pretty much... More of the same, edgy seat stuff. Uh, the whiskey auction continues. Um, there's some more whiskey waffle, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, so yeah, tune in next Friday for another thrilling edition of Uncorked. Oh yeah, and I should probably say, if you've got any questions for the two bearded blokes that think they own this show, you can use the Uncorked Whiskey Sessions hashtag. Yeah, good luck with that, Jen, like these two follow instructions. Hey everybody, can you hear my voice? Yes, a little loud, Sam. Ah, tough shit. You got no choice. So grab a glass and sit back in your chair. Cause Uncorked is going live to 